So one of the interactions that Jesus had with Peter um, post-resurrection before he ascended into heaven is known as Peter's restoration. And at that point, um, Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him in slightly different ways over and over again, um, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Peter, in slightly variant ways, says back to him, you know I do, Lord. Jesus, in response, in slightly variant ways, says back to him, well then, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, uh, feed the young ones, shepherd the old ones. And so this idea of shepherding, as far as um, what is important for the church, is really key. It's one of the, the models, the paradigms that uh, the New Testament church used and is, goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And shepherding involves many, many things. It's multifaceted. I don't want to say it's like an easy thing. It involves protection. It involves uh, care, tending, uh, bandaging up when there's wounds. Um, but one of the important things when you shepherd sheep is that you need to feed them. And so one of the key things is what does it mean for us as the church, for us both as members of the church, so individuals, but also um, collectively as a body to feed on the word of God. And specifically when I say feed on the word of God, feed on the scriptures. Because the word of God is actually kind of um, multifaceted also in the scriptures. That the word of God is sometimes simply the message about Christ that is apart from the written text. Um, obviously, we know that the word of God is also Jesus himself, the logos of God. But then there's the uh, word graphy, sacred scriptures, sacred writings that we're also supposed to feed on. And so what it means to feed and how we feed um, is important. So that might be kind of like a duh thing for all of us. Like, of course, we're going to, you know, read our Bible and do this. But... Um, that's not always the case, and, and I wanted to, before we actually get officially started in Jeremiah next, next month, to uh, set up kind of a paradigm um, of how I think that would be good for us to view feeding on the scriptures of God. How should we feed on the scriptures of God? And none of these things are going to be new, but I think the way that they're put together is... Um, Maybe it's not new either. For me, it was kind of like a light bulb moment as I was praying and processing through, you know, God, how, how are we called to feed on the scriptures? So today's not about interpretation, which is really important. Today's not about how we got the Bible, which is really important, how the Bible's been misused, which is really important. Today is simply about the core base foundation of how do we get the Bible into us? How do we feed on the written word on the scriptures? Um, probably at least once a month, I... I question the true benefit of the sermon, which I know is weird for me to say as somebody up here. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean here, here a cornerstone, but I mean the generality of what we have made it in the modern day church. We spend a lot of time preparing, which is good, um, and then giving a sermon, which is good and fine. But then I also wonder if the way we would interact with one another around the word of God could not be boxed into what we have made the structure of a sermon. So while I'm still rethinking and rehashing both historically and future-based, like, what is the sermon for? One thing I do know is that it is insanely important that, regardless of that, that the word of God is taught, that the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, and that we do feed on the scriptures. And you would say, well, isn't that the same thing? You know, isn't a sermon the same thing as feeding on the scriptures? You would hope so. You would think so. But it depends on how we approach the sermon or how we approach the word of God. And that's kind of what I want to go after today. How should we um, consume appropriately the word of God? 
At the beginning of the year, we took two months to teach and preach and rethink the importance of consuming Christ and what that tangible, um, what that tangibly looks like uh, through the Eucharist, through the communion table. You know, what does it mean to be dependent on the body, the broken body, and the blood poured out in our lives, spiritually speaking? But then, how do we, as a body, come together and remember and um, remember the incarnate Christ that was a physical being, and remember um, the body and the blood together in the sacrament? There might have been a bird in here. Did somebody else hear that? Okay, just checking. Or it might have been a cell phone. Who knows? Um, So that being said, today we're just going to take a couple minutes. So we spent two months doing that. Today we're just going to take a couple minutes to rethink about um, how to feed on the scriptures. And so it's important to have a good eating habit, habit, but more importantly with these things I'm going to show you in a second, the important part is that all of them are present. One thing I don't want you to feel at the end of this is like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing something right. That may or may not be true. I'm not here to tell you that. I'm not here to, there was some level of confessing my own hypocrisy as I was getting ready for this. Um, But I don't want it to be like a weight on you. There's this new eating disorder that has been out for the past five or 10 years called orthorexia. Has anybody heard of that? Orthorexia. And that's when you are consumed pun intended, you are consumed with the fact of eating healthy to the point where it actually stresses you out and causes um, ailments in your relationships with other people. Like that's an actual psychological thing that is now. That, and so what I don't want us to take on is have this guilt and a shame about, oh, we need to eat the right way. We need to feed on the, on, on the word of God the right way. Is that true? Sure. But I also want us to receive this in grace and then walk in uh, the disciplines that the Holy Spirit is calling us to individually and corporately and not have this weight put on top of you, but rather see the beauty of the scriptures, the beauty of how we are to interact with the scriptures, and then from there have a healthy eating uh, rhythm, both corporately and rhythm and in our personal life. Does that make sense? So I want you to take what I'm saying seriously, but I also don't want it to be some, some kind of shame-based blah, blah, blah thing where you're stressed out about, about everything. So to, to start, um, I have no idea when this happened. Let's say in the early church when people were trying to figure out the Trinity, okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Somebody, and if somebody knows this, let me know. Somebody made a, a graphic, basically, that had God, the word God at the center, and then it had three other points, for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what happened in this graph, it was like that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and vice versa. So there's like this three-in-one oneness, is this polytheistic, is this uh, monotheistic, what is this, that the early church was trying to figure out via the scriptures and the word of God that was passed down by the apostles, how do we make sense of the Trinity? As I was praying about feeding, I got that same kind of model to recreate in this. So today as we talk about feeding, we're going to look at three different ways to feed. Reading, studying, and praying. And the important part here is that all of these things, so to read the scriptures is to feed on the scriptures. To study the scriptures is to feed on the scriptures. To pray the scriptures is to feed on the scriptures. But reading is not studying and studying is not praying and praying is not reading and yada, 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 yada. And so one of the key things I want us to receive is that wholeness of this, that it's all three of these things together. 
that we participate in and get like this healthy diet of um, receiving the word of God through the scriptures. And most of us will gravitate towards one of these or another, right? So some of us might be really into just reading the word of God. Others of us might be um, into studying the word of God, but not really reading the word of God, which it seems like you would need to do that. Some of us are into praying the word of God and to putting ourselves imaginatively and rightfully into the story and asking God what he has to say to us right now. And so all of us might kind of gravitate towards one of these things, but together corporately and in growing in the wholeness of Christ, we want to uh, value all three of these things and not just say like, well, I, I don't really care about reading. I'll do the studying part. That was the thing that I was kind of confronted with as I was getting ready for this, is that I study the word of God a lot, but I don't necessarily just read it for the enjoyment of the word of God a whole lot. And some of you might have different things. You read, but you don't study. Pray, but you don't study. So the point is that all of this is about a wholeness of uh, feeding on the word of God. So let's start with reading. And when I say reading, all I mean is that simply, is reading. Some people here might not be big readers. I get that. All I would have to encourage you about is saying, one, you can listen to, the, to uh, the Bible on so many mediums right now, and two, like actually holding a physical Bible and um, chugging through reading is really important in formation because you're holding the text, you're looking at the text, you're processing in your mind, and that's really important. I'm a computer geek, as Dennis, I think, said one time. Um, is that right, Dennis? That was, the, was it a dork or a geek? Geek, computer geek. Um, so I went to school for business and for uh, computer science, and then in high school, and I was really into the uh, sciences and math. It wasn't until after I got saved in college that I actually picked up this literary part of my brain and started learning how to read better. I don't remember a single book I totally read in high school, like for class. It was like one of those things that I can read the synopsis or the cliff notes or something like that. I say that because I don't want you to feel boxed into that. I'm not a good reader, Justin. The Bible is long. Some of the parts are really boring, you know, the uh, chronology of certain things. Um, I get that. But I also want to say that you don't have to be confined or frozen in time to a certain way of being or interacting or being educated by the text. So when we think of reading, we simply mean reading the Bible. A couple quotes about this. This one, you might know this guy that said this one. Um, one of the great problematic issues in the church today is the lack of general Bible knowledge and engagement on the part of the American Christian adult. Generally speaking, there is simply not a desire to learn and know God through his revealed written word. It's not that the average American adult Christian doesn't respect God's word, they do, but they are not feeding on it themselves, on their own will, sorry, of their own will, decision, and pursuit, seeking to understand God and his story, merging and submitting their story to his story. So basically, there's some things in life where you can't know them unless you know them. There's certain conversations, there's certain ways of being that if you have no foundational base level of what's actually in the text, you can't even have that conversation with God or with yourself because it's just not part of what you see or what you've taken in and fed on. Another quote, the Bible, we have buried it, boxed it in, wallpapered over it, neutered it, distorted it, isolated it, individualized it, minimalized it, misread, lied about it, debased it, and oversold it. We have overcomplicated its form while oversimplifying its content. We've become cavalier and even cheesy with our Bibles. We'll do almost anything with them 
what we have not done is trust the Bible to be itself, is to be itself. This guy, um, Glenn Paul, as he pronounces his name, which it's a weird spelling there, P-A-A-U-W, Glenn Paul. He's part of this organization, Biblica, so biblica.com. And one of the things that they've been promoting is that they think that uh, the American Christian actually studies the Bible too much. And we need to lay down studying a little bit and take up the reading of scripture. And then he points to some cool historical stuff, which really challenges our modern notion of biblical reading and says that the way that our Bible currently is, um, in the fact of it's uh, chaptered and versed out over and over again, that that is actually a detriment to us reading it. And so we don't actually engage the wholeness of it, but we can go to Jeremiah fifteen sixteen and just read this verse, and we don't naturally have the rhythm of getting a fuller picture of the story. And so a bad structure then creates a bad habit that we're just all used to. So that kind of versification in chapters might be good in studying, but it's not necessarily good in reading. And so over probably the past five years, you may or may not have noticed that there's been certain Christian publishers or not Christian publishers that have been producing readers' versions of the Bible, that they take out every single um, form of um, break as far as chapter and verse identification and just have it be like a letter that it says, you know, a letter to uh, to First Thessalonians epistle, and the rest is just the text. There's no footnotes. There's no verses. There's actually in the scrolls, natural places of breaking up. Say in the book of Matthew, there's actually five natural places in that scroll where the book of Matthew, which is 28 chapters, has a natural break. You know why they did that? Because the gospel of Matthew is actually paralleling the Torah, the Pentateuch, which is five books. And so when Matthew and whoever else helped him to write and reaccount that, they, in the scroll, they naturally put this stuff out so that there were these reading breaks in longer books naturally put in. And so as we read the text, Glenn Paul would say, we don't want to come and make it a textbook. We want to take in the story. We want to actually hear what the story is that is there. And then, as Jay said, submit ourselves and our story to the grander story. But we can't do that if we're not actually reading the text. A couple places that this is drawn out um, is um, in the letter to Timothy that when Paul is leaving Timothy in, Ephes- Timothy in Ephesus, he's not only saying to teach and exhort the scriptures, but also like there should be this public reading of scripture. Now I get it. Not everybody is, uh, was literate in that day and age as we are now. The literacy rate, especially in modern day America, is, is not comparable to back then. And so the reading of scripture would be ever the more important. But the principle of that, the fact of reading the scripture out loud together, or reading the scripture ourselves is still really important. One of the things a couple of years ago me and my buddy did um, is that we would get together every two or three weeks and we would just read one of the shorter epistles straight through. So we would read Colossians straight through or Galatians or uh, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy just to get the whole thing into us at once, to see and to hear and to feel the theme and the story of this whole book rather than looking at it a chapter at a time which again isn't wrong, isn't bad. Looking at it verses in time isn't wrong, isn't bad. But as we're looking to feed on the word holistically and in wholeness, we want to consider the fact that maybe we're missing something by not reading the Bible. Similarly, Paul um, encourages and reminds uh, Timothy that like he was well acquainted with the scriptures, that um, his, um, his grandmother, I believe, 
um, helped him to be acquainted with the sacred writings, and they were able to make him wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Are we acquainted with the scriptures? Do we know the general story of the scriptures? Or is it something that we just wait till today to hear about? Or is it something that we're actually engaging in um, throughout the week, whether together or uh, individually, separate from, from us? So there's this general knowledge um, that maybe we don't know what it means when we read the scriptures because we're not studying it, but reading provides a road to walk on rather than just meandering all around. Oh, by reading the scriptures, there's this road that is somewhat paved that we can be on and we can walk on, and it's not just this kind of like going over here and going over here and going meandering all over the place. So the first thing is reading. Second thing, study. So just as the former guy would say we don't need to study the Bible more, we actually need to read the Bible more, this other guy, Dr. Heiser, says the opposite of that. He says, reading the Bible, of course you read the Bible. That's a given. What we need to do is study the Bible more. And so I love that because I love the tension that is there, and the, um, it brings out the fact that we actually need all of these things, not just one or the other, because reading is not studying the Bible. Studying is not reading the Bible. Bible study involves concentration and exertion, some sort of method or technique, and probably certain types of tools or aids. When we study the Bible, we're asking questions, thinking about context, forming judgments, and looking for more information. So in reading, we want to enter into the story of Scripture, but the Bible is a unique book. The Bible is not a 21st century creation, right? It was created over thousands of years to different cultures, different languages, and sometimes because we have the English translation, we kind of forget about that. And so we shouldn't put um, on the Bible our presumptions of how the biblical text was written originally, and so studying helps us to know the context, helps to know the backstory, helps to see what the author or the editors might have been doing here and there, and how God is using this beautiful literary style that might be lost in our English translations, um, but yet reveals the creativity of God as he communicates his heart and his life and his ways to us. So this idea of um, studying, of getting into it, and this challenges our uh, presumptions, but one of the things it also does is that it expands our palate. Right? So we come to a biblical text, and maybe this biblical text is in a certain type of literary style, and we're like, oh, we never thought about that before. That what I'm reading here in the Psalms is not just straight didactic teaching, it's this poetic heart language that God is communicating through the writers to convey something differently than just a teaching, a fact, 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 fact. Then on the other hand of stuff, there is, there is this very specific commandment-based uh, literary style, that it's actually telling us to do something. But how do we take those uh, commandments from 2,000 years ago in the light of Christ and actually live them out? And so that's what studying helps us to do. It helps us to get out of our own perspective, um, and yet it makes us use our mind within that. A couple things, the Bereans, as they are known, um, they were... Um, people that they were Jews, that they devoted themselves to examining uh, the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So the message of the gospel came to these Jews, and these Jews just didn't take it, or they didn't just dismiss it either. What they did is that they heard the gospel preachers and apostles say, hey, this is the truth, and you can see this in the scriptures, which back then would have been the Old Testament, not the New Testament. And so look at this. Look at how the Messiah is being revealed in this Old Testament, and they examined it. 
they searched it out to see if these things were true rather than just being passive in it, receiving it for, for whatever, or just dismissing it. Likewise, the Pharisees, even though we give them a bad rap, originally I think what happened with the Pharisees is they actually wanted to preserve the word of God, that there was oral tradition and there was scripture stuff going on that they didn't appreciate. But what happened with the Pharisees, even though they were seeking and looking to find the, the, the witness of the scripture, the bears witness to the Messiah, they put the scriptures above God himself. And they made the Bible an idol. And so when something came and wasn't into their perspective or their presumption of their studying of the word of God, they wouldn't have it, which we'll get to in a few minutes. So reading is important. Studying is important. Um, One of the things also with studying, it helps to guard us against, we want to mine the scriptures. So go and dig in the scriptures and extract the valuable information. What we don't want to do is make it a mining excavation, where it's all about me. So me being about mine and my interpretation of the scripture, but we want to actually pull out what God has for us there rather than having it centered around us. And so there's that process of extraction. Third thing, prayer. I couldn't fit the word contemplate in that small space. So I mean contemplate, but it was, it's, it goes along with prayer. So praying is not the same as studying, is not the same as reading, and all the way around the paradigm with that. But to contemplate the scriptures, to take a small section of scripture and enter into it ourselves and be like, God, what do you have to say to us, to me, in this day and age? And I know that can be kind of hairy because it's almost like a little bit more of a mystical approach to the scriptures, yet that is something that the New Testament writers also did um, with the Old Testament. And so we need to be careful, but we need to be careful about how we read, how we study, and how we meditate and pray the scriptures. It's not like, oh, if you're praying the scriptures and quote-unquote taking out of context, you can do that with reading the scriptures. You can do that with studying the scriptures. There are scholars that know a lot more about the biblical text than we do, and they don't believe in Jesus. That doesn't mean that they have some kind, you know, we don't want to put knowledge before the actual worship and truth and reality of who Jesus is. Eugene Peterson says this about praying. He says, Meditation is the primary way in which we guard against the fragmentation of our scripture reading into isolated oracles. Meditation enters into the coherent universe of God's revelation. Meditation is the prayerful employment of imagination to order to become friends with the text. It must not be confused with fancy or fantasy. So it's not like when we go and pray and meditate and contemplate the text that we just bring whatever to it. And again, I think a great model for this is that when we do all of these things, when we read and we study and we pray, it both helps us to ground into the text and yet to open up avenues for God's spirit to speak to us. How is this um, speaking to us today? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today? And what can we do um, in listening to the word of God coming through the scriptures today? knowing what it originally meant, reading and knowing the, the, the bigger narrative of the scriptures. A um, couple words here. So I will meditate on your precepts, you know, to chew over and over again. Um, let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In pray, prayer and meditation, the word of God shouldn't be a drive-by, right? It's not like you step into it, I'm here, and step out of it. There is a dwelling. To dwell with somebody means to actually be with them and be present for a time where you're focused. 
You know, how we eat matters. So most of you know I had some stomach issues and kind of still do that I'm working through. One of the things that they said for my gut to help alleviate some of the possible flare-up is to actually think about how I eat. Not just what I eat, but how I eat. Am I scarfing down food? Am I completely chewing my food? Because then you get, um, while there is the... spit, I don't know what word I'm looking for, in your mouth, saliva, in your mouth helps to break down that food. Obviously, you have stomach acid that does that too, but there's something to really chewing on your food. I scarf down my food like crazy. The past couple of weeks, I've been trying 90% unsuccessfully and trying to like count my chews and like make sure it's actually, there's no texture. And I feel like my jaw is going to fall off <laughs> because I'm just not, my habit is not good uh, eating. I'm just like, before the food goes down my throat, I have another bite. Um, but there's something with that where it doesn't upset your stomach as much because it's being processed appropriately rather than being in a world of busyness. I'm feeding and consuming this thing and then off to the next thing. Prayer and contemplation helps us to sit for even if it's a couple minutes to be focused on what we are feeding on, to chew our food to share it with others rather than it just being something we need to do for energy, but an enjoyment of it. So dwelling. And then also there's just this idea of actually receiving it, of receiving it into the depths of our, of our mind, into our hearts, into our soul, and sitting in the presence of God and asking him to speak to us. Again, prayer is not primarily about us speaking. It's about us listening. And so to be able to receive the message that he has for us and contemplate it and discern it out in community. So before we move on to uh, number four, which I know there's only three there, we're going to do this. So what I would like us to do next is I would like us to break up in groups of three, four. Um, Make sure you introduce yourself if you don't know the person so there's no oddity of, hey, hi. Just introduce yourself if you're new. Just say who you are. Um, And then what we're going to do in these groups of three or four, I just want you to read this over. I'll read it over two times, okay? We're going to sit for uh, a minute in silence just to hear, to dwell, to chew on it a little bit. And then I would like us in our little groups just to pray. Well, how do I pray this, Justin? Ask God questions about it. Uh, Give thanksgiving about some of the things you read here. How does this uh, show certain desires Um, that maybe you would like to have those desires. You know, when I read this, your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and delight of my heart. Is the word of God a joy and delight in my heart? You know? You know, confessing the scripture and how it doesn't seem like I'm, there's no guilt or shame in this, but there is a going to God in community, chewing on this for a minute and then praying in community about that. So we're gonna do that. Um, Also, the great thing about this, to give you a little study part of thing, your words were found. What I love about this in Jeremiah is that this is both kind of a metaphysical and a physical thing, right? Because if you remember, Jeremiah found part of Deuteronomy. Jeremiah didn't. Josiah found part of Deuteronomy. So he found a point, a part of physical, sacred writing scripture. And so as he's saying, your words were found, he's really probably primarily talking about those written words that were found. And yet we also know that the word of God outside of those written words comes to him. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and he finds them and he eats them and he takes them in. 
and they're part of who he is. It is. He says in another place in Jeremiah that your word is in my bones burning within my heart. And if I would try to hold it within me, there's no way I could, it must get out. And so he's consuming it, he's feeding on it. He's not literally feeding on the scroll, but he's you know, taking that in what was found. And then you know, from the spiritual aspect, he's feeding on the word of God, which is cool. So if you get to a section in your group where nobody's praying anymore, guess what? That's okay. Just sit and in your own head, in your own mind, just think about that over and over again. Continue to ask questions internally about what that is. Don't feel like you have to speak. Don't feel like you have to do anything. Just go and be led as the Spirit would lead you. Um, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, welcome to community. Um, might be a little awkward, but this is what we do as the church. Um, we get together, um, we care for one another, and we listen to God's word. So I'm going to say this twice, and then I'll give uh, a moment of silence, and then I'll say, go after it. And then I'll give another couple minutes for us to pray through it. So from the book of Jeremiah, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O God, God of hosts. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. So let's just take a a moment of quiet and silence. Um, and mull that over in our hearts and in our minds. God, as we come to your word, um, we ask that you would speak to us in whatever way you see fit. We pray that we would be grounded in your truth and in who Jesus Christ is. Spirit, we pray that you would lead us in prayer, uh, both in, in thanksgiving and in questioning and in processing and just being with you, chewing on your words, being together, being in community, and seeing what you have for us today. So thanks for your word to us. Thank you that you are not dead, but you're alive, and that your word is alive and active also. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts from the book of Jeremiah. Amen. Worship team, you guys can come back up if you want to rearrange your seats so you can see. So if you remember from our Consuming Christ series, there was two parts to breathing. There was inhaling, and what was the second part? Exhaling. (laughs) So while I'm not saying that we should eat and feed on food and then vomit it up, What needs to happen, though, is that that food needs to uh, actually go somewhere, become energy into doing. So while uh, we want to give ourselves over to the feeding and the proper consumption in a godly way, not in a worldly way, of reading and studying and of uh, praying the scriptures, we also want to be doers of the word, that there is this other part. Our ultimate love and desire is shaped by practices, not ideas that are merely communicated to us. You know, we went over this in James and John multiple times. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Dear children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so we're called not just to think about 
reading the scriptures and think about studying the scriptures and think about praying the scriptures, but to actually do those things. And also as we feed on that, for that to change the way we love and walk within the world and with Christ. We're supposed to be participants in the divine dance. So we don't just read it, we exhort it, we speak it to one another. We don't just study it. We teach it, we practice it, we obey it. We don't just pray it and contemplate it. We proclaim it, prophesy it, and sing it. We are to be doers of the word. That word, doers, is used one other time in the, in the New Testament text, and it's in Acts, where it talks about poets. It talks about poets. And so you could read this word as be poets of the word, be performers of the word, and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. And so again, it's not that we just sit here and thinking is good, feeling is good, contemplating is good. Those are all good, but we also need to be doers of the word. So what happens then in these four things, reading, participating, excuse me, studying and praying, what happens if we overemphasize and underemphasize these things? Here's what I think. If we underemphasize these things, what happens is that we become uh, legless, mindless, heartless, and faceless. That if we underestimate the, the sense of reading the word, we don't have legs to stand on. That there's the foundation that is Jesus Christ and it's there, but we're not actually walking on that path because we don't even know where that path is. And so we're kind of bumbling around um, like infants, which is fine for a time. But there's this time of knowing and receiving the word and knowing what it says. Um, So we don't want to be legless. We don't want to be mindless or brainless. Just whatever comes to us, we accept and we receive. No, we want to examine. One of the ways that we're easily duped and our um, false teaching of scripture is because we don't know scripture, right? That we don't actually know the truth or have examined the truth or dwelt with the truth. That we think that one 45-minute session on Sunday is enough. And uh, as somebody that it's his quote-unquote job, which I hate that language, I'm telling you, there's more to the word of God than this. If we underemphasize praying the word, we lose our heart. We lose the fact that this is um, something that God connects to us on a very deep, deep, guttural level. That his word is both then and now. That he's speaking to our hearts and to our situations in the midst of all this. And then if we don't practice the word, as the text says, we become faceless. Because be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves because if you're a hearer and not a doer of the word, what ends up happening is that you become like a man or a woman that goes and looks into a mirror and doesn't recognize who they are. By not practicing the word, we actually lose our identity. By not practicing the word, we don't recognize our own face. I'm saying that more corporately than anything. That we don't remember who God said that we are who God said we are. Now, because humans are great at sinning, we can overemphasize things, but then we can o- or underemphasize things, but we can also overemphasize things. So if we overemphasize reading, um, in uh, one of the epistles, it talks about these false teachers and these people that stirred up controversies because they're always learning. Is learning good? Yes. But they're never coming to an actual knowledge of the truth. 
And so it can be easy for us to constantly read and not be like, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure on certain things. And for a lot of things, that's okay. But we don't want to be people that actually idolize story. Story is one of the things and narrative that I love in our culture right now and in the biblical text. But as with anything good, it can be misused and story can be idol- uh, become idolatry. We both need the principles and the narrative of scripture, and we need the commandments. And we need the things where God is telling us to do something. That it's not just, you know, a novel that we're reading, and we, yeah, we really get into that story, but that we're not willing to obey it. And that, that's what happens if we uh, overemphasize reading. If we overemphasize, whoops, sorry, studying, we become arrogant, right? Because knowledge does what? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And again, especially being somebody that's been in um, um, educational circles with the word of God, uh, and you should ask Naomi about this too, is that Naomi, in doing her biblical studies degree, um, she kind of had a meltdown at one point because there was many biblical study majors that were loveless. And she was just like, what is the purpose of learning all of this knowledge and all of this stuff if I'm, uh, I can't say that word, if I'm going to be a jerk? If I'm just going to end up being a jerk and be, become arrogant, well, did you know that in the uh, 17th century, the interpretation of the, uh, which is cool. That's important stuff. But when knowledge becomes our God, it becomes an idol. And so we need to make sure we don't overemphasize studying where we become arrogant, prideful, knowledge puffs up, and then love is through. Bang. We don't want to um, be unfounded in truth, quote-unquote truth. Uh, many times in the epistles, Paul talks about people that have had visions. Uh, even in 1 John, 1 John's up there, yeah. Even in 1 John, uh, the false teachers, uh, they would, they would uh, have the Torah and they would have these interpretations of what God was telling them about them that were completely unfounded and were completely wrong. And so if we give ourselves and overemphasize the idea of prayer without the idea of reading and studying and practicing, it can become we base our lives on false Christs, on false truths, on things that are just visions. And, and Paul's like, you know, if anybody comes to you, even an angel from heaven, and proclaims to you a different gospel than what I have proclaimed to you, they should be accursed. Because uh, in Jude, the gospel was delivered once and for all for the saints and to the saints. That while the gospel is both high and deep and wide, and there's so much to explore in it, there's also just um, solid stuff in that that doesn't change and shift. But if we give ourselves over to always um, overemphasizing the idea of praying and having it be about us um, and not the other stuff, it can easily, we can easily be led astray by our other visions, and that's why we need all of these things. And then finally, uh, we become unfruitful if we're always practicing the word, if we overemphasize that, but we're not actually feeding on the word, Right? We become unfruitful because we're not actually abiding in the vine. We're in the scriptures doing what we're supposed to do and feed on them. And so we do these things, and rather than it being good works, it ends up becoming dead works and unfruitful works and empty works. And it might look awesome, but yet in the kingdom of God, it's unfruitful because we both need to inhale and exhale. We both need to feed, and then as we have that, um, that, that, that energy burning within us, we go out and love and worship and seek um, God's kingdom here on earth as he would desire. And so as we breathe in what God has breathed, 
we are equipped for every good work. That we breathe it in, we're equipped, then we go out and we love our neighbors, we love our families, we love the people in our workplaces. And so it's a combination of all of these things together is how I would recommend that us as Cornerstone think about feeding. Important part of this is this is how we're going to feed on Jeremiah the next year. Whenever I'm preaching, uh, not whenever, like I'm not going to say like every single time, but there's going to be a constant rhythm here where we read the text, where we study the text, where we also pray the text like we did. And that this is more of a holistic way of us feeding on it rather than just receiving. So today, you greatly participated in the word of God because you chewed on it and together you spoke it to one another. You thought about um, what was being said up here. You prayed it. And I would like to see us as Cornerstone, even in corporate worship on Sunday morning, do that more. Yes, we need to preach and to teach and to um, look at the themes and the story that's in the narrative that usually this time is set out for. But there's more participation for us as Cornerstone, as the people of God, to, to be having on Sunday mornings. So I wanted all of us to kind of be on the same page, even if you think I'm wacky, or even if you think this is crazy, that this is how I think is a holistic version of feeding. All that being said... As Cornerstone and as the church, I want us to properly value the written word, the scriptures. But I never want us to idolize it. I want us to realize that we need to value greatly than maybe that some of us or all of us have the fact that we have a written uh, revelation. We need to talk about interpretation. There's bad interpretation. There's good interpretation. There's bad approaches, good approaches, all of that stuff. But we want to come to the written word because it ultimately tells us about the logos of God, about the word of God who is Jesus himself. And while there might not be Jesus to be found in the pages of every single chronology in the scripture, that the ultimate endpoint of the written word is Christ, of showing and revealing who he is, both past, present, and future. And the, um, the incredible point of history that happened with his death and resurrection. And so as we come to the scriptures, let's value it, let's feed on it, let's take it in, let's be doers of the word. But then in the midst of that, in being doers of the word, let's be worshipers of the word, not worshipers of the Bible, not worshipers of the scriptures, but worshipers of the one that the Bible points to, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what we are called into. So in closing for the benediction, I just want to read these words out of the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ alone.